The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Welcome to another episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host, Dr. Brian Carr, and I uh, got a special one for you today, a bit more on the serious side of Serious Fun. Um, so on uh, the 10th of December, the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences hosted the first ever Common Cause event. That's cause as in C-A-H-S-S for, of course, the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences. Um, the Common Cause event is a uh, annual event that is a conference slash symposium on a given topic and uh, sort of celebrating and showing the depth and variety of the folks, uh, our faculty, our staff, the folks who are working as part of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences on that issue. And so I was very fortunate and very grateful to be asked to be a part of this. Uh, so we brought Serious Fun to do a live recording talking about what else? Video games, and specifically, are video games um, encouraging or at least uh, allowing the player to commit virtual war crimes. So a bit of a heavy topic this week, but I was very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Eric Morgan, a professor in the Democracy and Justice Studies program here at UWGB, to talk about that issue. So here now, another live episode of Serious Fun coming to you from the Common Cause event on the campus of University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. It's Serious Fun. Uh, well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Dr. Brian Carr. I'm an associate professor in the Communication, Information, Science, and Women Gender Studies program here at, <clears throat> at University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, as well as the host of Serious Fun, the show that you are here to listen to on the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network. Uh, with me today, a very special guest, the first time I've had this gentleman on the podcast, but hopefully not the last. We'll see. Um, you, you might want to just run screaming after this, and I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah, this is Associate Professor of Democracy and Justice Studies here at UWGB, Dr. Eric Morgan. Hello, Eric. It's good hey, to have Brian. You. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and today we have a very simple question for you. And by simple, I mean not simple. Uh, are we committing war crimes in video games? I'll let you sit with that for a second. Um, See, back in 2013, the International Committee of the Red Cross released a statement of concern about the depiction of war crimes in video games, calling out specifically the use of torture, attacks on civilians, killing of prisoners, and other atrocities committed by players at the touch of a button. Rather than asking for censorship, of course, the Red Cross instead requested and worked with developers to try to encourage them to include some kind of in-game accountability, um, whether it's instituting war crime tribunals or punishment at some level, or instituting real-world laws of armed conflict in the games and to explore the actual issues on the field in their narrative. However, six years later, little has changed. In October, the latest entry in the Call of Duty franchise, Modern Warfare, was released amidst a storm of controversy among the game's rewriting of historical war crimes, use of chemical weapons and torture in the narrative, and most significantly, the use of the chemical weapon white phosphorus as a weapon in the game's multiplayer, accessible only after reaching a certain number of kills in the game. Um, in full disclosure, I'm not good enough to get to the amount of kills you have to get to to use the white phosphorus, so I had to get video 
of it from YouTube. And in fact, I do have some video of uh, Modern Warfare that I'm going to go ahead and play for you right now. Boss. What the hell are we doing here? up a mess with women and children they were over it they were hostages when you take the gloves off you get blood on your hands kyle that's how it works <coughs> so this scene happens shortly after uh in which freedom fighters in a fictional country to stand fight back against the Russian invaders. They use the chemical weapons that the Russians have been using against them. Listen to me. I stole the gas from the Russians. To help us, only to help us. Tell Farah. Tell her, Alex. Here's a midnight raid on the compound of the terrorist organization Al-Qatala. All clear. 24 and 26, holding here. And here you have kidnapped the terrorist mastermind, the butcher, and are trying to get him to tell you where the chemical weapons are stored by threatening his wife and child. Nothing about this. Okay, stop. Please do something for yourself. Hey, 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 hey! Look at me. Stop, stop, stop! They have nothing to do with this. And so here is an example of the white phosphorus in the multiplayer. This is somebody testing it out. Grid mark. Send it. Striker three one dropping whiskey peed on your mark. And uh, if you're not familiar with white phosphorus, it's a self-igniting chemical that can burn at upward of 4,800 degrees Fahrenheit once it makes contact with air, um, burning things to the ground, and um, as you can imagine, what it does to the human body. So there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not white phosphorus should actually be outlawed in combat zones. Um, and here we have a video game saying, if you, if you do good enough, you can use it on your enemies or set yourself on fire, as the guy in that video did. Um, so compounding all of this fact uh, is that the fact that artificial intelligence is only gotten better. And uh, in the six years since the Red Cross Declaration, not only are our virtual adversaries showing more cleverness and tactical decision making, but actual AI is training on war games. The Google owned DeepMind AI Lab reported that their AlphaStar AI had achieved the Grandmaster rank in the sci-fi strategy game StarCraft II, capable of beating 99.8% of human players. Um, if you're wondering where Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy are going to come in, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's got to happen any day now. Uh, couple all of this with the ongoing calls for a ban on lethal autonomous weapons on the real-life battlefield, and we are at a potential inflection point in artificial intelligence and war crimes with video games leading the way in the center. So, Eric, let's unpack all that in, what, about 30 minutes? Yeah, that should be Yeah, that's, that's enough. We'll solve it right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, you are a uh, professor in democracy and justice studies. You study this area. Um, what actually constitutes a war crime? So, very simply, uh, a war crime is a serious violation of the laws of war that can be attributed to... Uh, 
uh, an actual person. So an individual group of people, um, a politician, etc. And that's uh, as simple as it can get. Um, we should note that the definition of a war crime has uh, expanded throughout the past uh, about century plus. Um, this began with the Hague Conventions at the end of the 19th century. Um, with the Second World War, particularly in the crimes of Nazi Germany, um, we have an expansion with the various Geneva Conventions, and then particularly the Nuremberg trials, um, and the idea, of course, that, um, that individuals could be held accountable for, um, for these various crimes. And um, more recently, we've had the establishment of the International Criminal Court, uh, which is a, a, an international organization that exists almost exclusively to hold individuals accountable for war crimes. And these war crimes can vary from um, things like uh, killing civilians, right, uh, chemical warfare. Um, and uh, the, the list is very long, and you know, we don't necessarily have to go into that. But basically, yeah, in, in its simplest version, um, violations of the laws of war. And yes, there are actually laws of war. Okay, so uh, what are some of those laws? Um, well, for example, um, you know, basic things like uh, not targeting civilians. Um, if an enemy combatant has surrendered, for mm -hmm. example, um, they are supposed to be treated with dignity. They mm -hmm. are not uh, supposed to be killed or, mm -hmm. or tortured. Um, the use of chemical warfare, for example, is um, another violation. Um, there's there's dozens and dozens, and these 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 um, these these laws have changed over time, of course with the changes in warfare, right? Mm -hmm. um, with the changes in technology, military strategy, um, you see the expansion of what the modern rules of war are. Mm -hmm. They were much more simplistic in, say, the 19th century. Mm -hmm. We didn't have chemical or gas warfare. Um, and so the, the, I would almost argue that the international law has, has, has struggled to keep up mm -hmm. with um, with the, the 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 modern warfare tactics, mm -hmm. and I mean, I think that's something we're seeing right now with 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 video games, and particularly the issue of AI that you mm -hmm. bring up. Um, Right, and, and so what's interesting about AI in particular is that it kind of cuts both ways. Not only do we have AI that is using video games to learn how to become more efficient and strategic, um, but also we are now developing AI that can think and react in a meaningful way. And it's not too much of a stretch to imagine that when you, um, we could get to a point where if you kill a character in a video game, you are essentially killing you know, some kind of almost sentient mind, right? Um, it's not sure. impossible in the next couple decades to get to that point. And just, you know, this is something we don't really think about, but. Well, uh, and then what about reversing the situation? Mm -hmm. The artificial intelligence, does right. it have a morality um, or a code? Does it understand the the, the, the laws mm -hmm. of the, the Geneva Conventions, et cetera? And so I find that fascinating right. too. Right, because uh, you know, there's, uh, there's like the campaign to stop killer robots and that kind of thing. Um, that uh, and That's the actual name of the organization. It's, uh, they're an anti-autonomous um, weapons organization. And you know, if you, you look at some of these, like uh, the, the, you know, obviously the drones kind of get most of the publicity, but we also have like uh, autonomous tanks with high powered weapons on them that can essentially, um, you know, they have research 
research that can uh, that can actually develop technology where they can look at the terrain, look at the variables, and decide based on that, um, do I actually engage this target or not? And of course, the concern is, okay, you might have a human at the switch with like a kill switch. What if that kill switch doesn't work? Or what if the AI decides to go into business for itself, right? Right, and that's a great question. So I don't think the you know Geneva Conventions, the International Criminal Court, are, uh, again, the, the point of catching up, right? Uh, I don't think they're set up to hold artificial intelligence or no. robots accountable. Right, um, and how would you even punish them? Right. Like that's that's the other thing that's, uh, that comes up in the literature a lot in terms of artificial intelligence is that, you know, if we develop an AI that can perceive time, it will not perceive time the same way that a human would, right? So if we shut it down, will it have made it, like, will it make any difference if we reboot it or something like that? And so we're getting to, the, like, it almost feels like we're kind of getting into these philosophical domains that we have no real capacity to understand yet. Right. Um, so kind of getting back to video games for a second though, um, you saw the clips that we showed from Modern Warfare. Um, and, and I would love to like, and I wanna be very clear, my intent is not to be like, this is a horrible game, it should be banned or anything. I bought this game. I play this game a lot. Um, I don't always feel good about it, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but you know, looking at those clips, do you think that we could maybe make the case that we are committing some kind of war crime here? Sure, it's a, it, it's a fascinating um, uh, you know question. I, this was the first time I'd seen this this um, particular video game, and I have to admit at how uh, astonished I am by mm -hmm. the reality mm -hmm. of it. Um, it. It feels incredibly real. So I think that verisimilitude. Um, that brings another layer of, of complication. So, I guess I guess you know the question is, can you commit a crime in a virtual or imaginary environment, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that goes to a much larger question about video games, board games. Um, are we emulating a reality or a historical reality, or is it escapism, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that's where the kind of moral crux of this argument comes in. Um, you know, do game designers have a responsibility to educate? Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it, does your average 15-year-old playing Call of Duty have any understanding of uh, the Geneva Conventions or, you know, the atrocities of a Holocaust? Good, I guess not. <laughs> Probably not, right? Um, this is fun escapism. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's bonding with, with, with friends, etc. Um, and you know, I I'm not sure uh, where the responsibility lies um, mm -hmm. with with uh, with whole, you know making um, something realistic or whether it is you know pure fantasy. Right. Um, but I think you know the 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 questions that the Red Cross brought up several mm -hmm. years ago, I guess five years ago now, uh, about so, yeah, six, yeah, um, is they're 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 essential questions, right? Because basically, what the Red Cross said was the the portrayal of, of war crimes, again, whether it's taking hostages, which is another war crime, whether it's targeting civilians, which is a war crime, um, torture is a war crime, mm -hmm. many other many other things. Um, are we trivializing right. these war crimes if we're not, um, you know, recognizing them as such and holding the players accountable? Um, so that would be kind of where where my mind would go. Mm -hmm. um, our, our, our games, uh, both video games, board games, whatever they may be, um, where are they in terms of you know educational? Mm -hmm. Are they escapism? Do they have to meld the two together? Um, and so I think that's where our question mm -hmm. really needs to, to dive into. Well, certainly you can make the distinction um, between uh, you know games that are designed to entertain, which Modern Warfare, Call of Duty is, 
um, versus a what's what, what's called a serious game, which is a game that is designed pre uh, predominantly to make a point or to illustrate a concept or uh, to serve a purpose. And there have certainly been games that have talked about this. Um, uh, September twelfth, I think, is one that that jumped out in my in my mind um, that talks about kind of the war on terror, and you essentially have like a marketplace full of um, like uh, vaguely Middle Eastern civilians and uh, little terrorist characters that have a gun and all that kind of thing. And you're trying to target the terrorist characters with these giant bombs, and so you fire the bomb at them and you might kill a couple of the terrorist characters but you're also going to more likely kill a bunch of the other ones and so what will end up happening is the little sprite the little design for the um, market or the villager character will start to flash and turn into a terrorist character and so basically the intent and they say at the beginning this is not a game and you can't win right and so I mean there are games that are trying to kind of delve into that concept a little bit um, but they're not necessarily they're not the ones that are you know being sold for 60 bucks right. down at the Walmart but there's a there's another game I showed to my students um, it, it's uh, it's was created by an organization um, dedicated to reducing poverty and hunger in the United States it's called spent mm -hmm. um, and basically what you're doing is you're trying to live the life of, of, of you know somebody at the poverty line and mm -hmm. so you have to make all of these decisions um, it's not necessarily fun right? right but it absolutely gets you into kind of the at least maybe headspace mind of you know somebody who's who's struggling with poverty. Mm -hmm. So one thing that uh, struck stuck out my mind very clearly when playing this game, and I got to tell you a story. So I'm going to spoil another part of this game for you. So I apologize if anybody's out there hasn't played it um, who wanted to. Um, so you're playing. Uh, there's a flashback sequence in which you're playing uh, as Farah, who is um, one of the main characters. She's a freedom fighter in this uh, fictional country of Uzbekistan. Flashes back to her childhood. Um, her mom is killed in a, an explosion um, as the Russians kind of sweep into Uzbekistan and take it over. Um, and so her father takes her and her brother and hides them at home. But one of the Russian soldiers breaks in and kills their dad. And so you have to run around the house hiding from this guy and you're trying to like swipe at him and stab him as where you can eventually you get to a point where your brother holds him back and you as a little kid start stabbing this man to death, um, you know, with the blood and the gurgling and all that. And all I could think about is, you know, this was brought to you by Totino's Pizza Rolls, <laughs> because if you go to your grocery store, you can get Call of Duty Modern Warfare on locks with your packages of Totino Pizza Rolls. And did I? Yes. I absolutely did. <laughs> yes, I got all of did. them. But um, th but I felt weird doing and And I feel like, um, and I mentioned this, I think, on, on, on Twitter. I said, this is the most 2019 game possible. Like, if, there, if you want to know what 2019 is like, it's this. And so, you know, we're talking about, like, um, so Mountain Dew is investing money in this. All these companies. Walmart has, like, massive signs. Um, what do you think about this intersection between commerce and media that, that tries to address these issues? Can we have this honest discussion where we're using this game to sell pizza rolls? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a very problematic, um, you know, thing. I'm just thinking of like, you know, tanks or, um, you know, planes or soldiers uniforms like, you know, <laughs> the uh, European front in World War II, like brought to you by yeah. um, like NASCAR. <laughs> right. That's, exa yeah. that's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, my grandfather served in the army. I'm just trying to think of, you know, yeah. what what uh, his his division. Pearson's mustache. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's I think it's problematic um, in in a lot of ways, uh, particularly because it's um, I think it's. Uh, in some ways devalues the seriousness of the topics, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think once you bring in um, you know, companies that are trying to sell food, beverages, whatever it may be, I mean, it's just another, 
a part of the entertainment industry, right? Mm -hmm. And so can you even have a legitimate conversation about uh, war crimes and video games if these corporate sponsors are plastered all over the place? Right, yeah, and you know, here's a game that's trying to do both, right? right. It wants to be able to say we're having this serious discussion about the uh, uh, ambigu ambiguous morality of war and uh, you know, chemical weapons and all this kind of thing, and yet, and yet. you can go buy game fuel and uh, you know, drink the Mountain Dew while you're playing the game and unlock more stuff in the game. I mean, in a way, it's like this, it's this um, disconnect, right? right. It, 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 I think it further removes you, actually, from mm -hmm. the realities of, of these um, situations um, because that's just simply not the reality. Mm -hmm. So um, when, why do you think this is? Like, why do you think games and other media don't accurately represent war crimes? And how could we potentially make that representation um, in some way that where they would? This is such a good question, and I think there's uh, you know, multifaceted answers to it. Probably first and foremost, though, I would think is demand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is a gamer really interested in um, having their gameplay interrupted to mm -hmm. be taught a lesson? Uh, historical lesson, for example, or a, a lesson about international politics or law. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, as a gamer uh, yourself, I mean, I mean, I, I've played Metal Gear Solid. That's literally what they do. You'll you'll be playing the game, and all of a sudden, you'll be stopped for like a ninety-minute lecture on nuclear weapons. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> but you know, but that's not for everybody. That's not for everybody. Right. So I think probably some of it goes, of course, uh, to demand. I think the other problematic aspect is, you know, how do you how do you gamify something? So let's just take something really simple, right? Mm -hmm. Like the willful killing of a civilian in a, a war situation, right? So I'm a soldier, I have killed a, a, a civilian. Um, what would ultimately happen is that I would probably be brought to some kind of tribunal, maybe the International Criminal Court, and I would you know, be tried with evidence, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I'm trying to think in a video game how that would exactly proceed, right? right. So I guess, um, you know, you'd have to gamify the the, the tribunal or the mm -hmm. international criminal court um, somehow. Sure. Right? Well, I'm thinking like so. Maybe this is one way to do it, and and this is kind of getting to another question I was going to ask: how you could potentially represent this in a way that would make the Red Cross happy. Um, and, and I'm thinking like you know, there's like games like Phoenix Wright, which is like a courtroom simulator kind of, it's like a visual novel slash courtroom simulator. And so you could be like, okay, when they question you in front of the tribunal, how you give your answers could determine whether or not they see it as justified or not, right? Um, or whether or not like the certain things you do could determine whether or not you could give certain answers truthfully, right? right. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe that's what, and maybe that's still too flippant, but it would still be a way to kind of like address like this is what would actually happen were you to do this terrible thing. Right. And so here's the here's the other issue too. Um, your characters probably know these laws because mm -hmm. um, it was part of their training. Right. But the player is not the character. No. Right. And and so um, if if you as the player shoot a civilian, mm -hmm. you may not even know mm -hmm. that that is in a direct opposition to international law on war. Right. right. And so, I mean, so that's that's I think that's another problematic aspect, too. Right. Because maybe your character, it's just there's all these like, you know, disconnects. Um, right. But I think um, I think absolutely it could be a really. Uh, fascinating way to engage with these with these questions um, mm -hmm. of you know how, how do you connect the the real life with with the imagined 
Right, well, here's one of the other things that's challenging from a video game standpoint is there's this notion of player empowerment, right? Like you want to give the player the freedom to do whatever they, like within you know certain parameters, obviously, right. of, the, of the, the limitations of the engine and the code. Um, you want to try to give them as much freedom to engage in a certain situation as possible. So the clip I showed where they're um, questioning the, the butcher and they've got his wife and kid there, um, you don't even have to do that part if you don't want to. You can tell um, Commander Price, the guy that's like overseeing it, like I want nothing to do with this. They'll close the door. They'll go on and do the scene without you. Um, I obviously went in and did it and so did the guy that I borrowed the video from because my video wasn't good. Um, so uh, what's interesting is I kept watching to see because I didn't even know you could do this. Um, this guy, um, after getting the information out of the butcher, shot him multiple times, like in the leg and the ankle and the knees and like everywhere. And then eventually in the head, I'm like, you literally you, you committed a war crime like there like the man <laughs> was you know, first off in your custody second you're kind of extra uh, judiciously getting this information out of him by threatening his wife and kid and then you're murdering him like it was a bit but again there's nothing stopping him in the code from doing that and i don't know if you could like then turn around and shoot the wife and kid i assume it'd give you a game over instantly if you did that because there's probably a line they got to draw somewhere um but what's interesting is the first time in that game where you have the or that scene where you have the ability to fire the weapon um i sh i was gonna like shoot over their head into the wall the kind of like you know you see in the movies to like prove a point it's not loaded and so i wonder how many people like pointed at the wife and kid and pulled the trigger only to find that the gun was not loaded um i wonder if they're if they can keep track of that and just what a sobering statistic that might be um so uh, that's a really excellent uh, excellent point about uh this this particular scenario um that that you raise um you know I guess, ah, go on to the next year. Yeah, well, I mean, so here's, the, but here's the thing though. So, um, you know, this whole notion of if we, get, if we create a game engine and we create uh, an interface for a player to play with it, right? Like narrative database theory suggests that basically you have all these options available to you in a video game or a website or whatever, and then you just make your own sort of narrative through the choices you make. Um, and, and giving the player the choices to do that, like, you know, this is a recurring problem in game narrative, right? We wanna tell these very serious, compelling stories, but at the same time, wanna give players the chance to do. So, you know, we could do Red Dead Redemption and tell a story about a man trying to do right by his family and trying to make up for a past life of being an outlaw, but we also allow him to tie people to the railroad tracks and let the, tra the train run over them, right? So there's that constant balance between what are we trying to tell in terms of a story and what kind of freedom do we want to give the player? Well, right. I, I guess that was what I was uh, trying to say um, a moment ago. You could not give them the choice, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But then, as you said, does that take away the autonomy of mm -hmm. the player? And does it you know, not then represent reality? Right. Right. Yeah, and I, I, so I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see how that could play out otherwise. But uh, yeah, I felt I just I just watched them like you know I, I felt bad like I did, like this guy's a bad man, but like you know did you have to murder him in front of his did wife and kids? To, yeah. Like is that appropriate? Um, so let's think about all this because we, we've we've touched on some fairly heavy topics, and I do want to give some time for questions. But if we're using so we, we've talked about this sort of questionable morality of sort of uh, commodifying. Uh, war crimes. I think that's pretty clear that there's a lot of uh, sketchiness, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but let's think about this. If we're going to be also using games to train out AI, do you think this will have some kind of impact on how we use AI on the battlefield? Um, and, what, and what problems might that create? I mean, probably, and we touched on this, uh, you know, earlier in the, in the show. I think the the question becomes if AI is engaging itself in the, the committing of war crimes, mm -hmm. um, how do we adjust the international law or the international mm -hmm. system for for justice um, to hold 
who accountable? Right. Do we that? hold the AI accountable? <laughs> do we hold the programmers accountable? Right? I mean, yeah. Do we uh, do we shut down the AI like C three PO and mm-hmm. you know just put them to sleep? And again, as you said, does the AI even care? Right. Um, if it's put to sleep for. 15 years, it, it doesn't. It's right. not sentient. Like, you know, um, it, it, we're not quite at HAL 9000 not yet. yet, right? Like, I mean, we'll not get there. He'll dream or anything. So. <laughs> right. Um, um, but then, you know, can, can you truly hold, um, you know, the designer uh, mm-hmm. culpable in a court of right. law? Right. Like, if, if I, you know, if I drive my Tesla Cybertruck and I crash into something um, because I can't see out the window, um, is that my fault or is that Elon Musk's fault? Right. right. Like, who do we hold accountable? The people. I, the I'm going to blame Elon Musk. I mean, you can blame whoever you want, right? This is a purely hypothetical. I'm not going to, I'm never going to drive a Cybertruck. But, um, but you know, that is the same question. Like when we talk about technology, do we hold the designers accountable or do we hold the, the, the users accountable? Yeah. It's a, it's a question that I, I don't necessarily have an answer for, but I think it is going to greatly complicate, um, you know, the, the cases that are brought to the international criminal court as AI becomes, much more prevalent. Right. And then we could also potentially use it as a defense, right? Sure. Like, um, you know, yes, these uh, weapons that are uh, managed by, you know, the American military or the Russian military, whoever, um, you know, went haywire and killed a bunch of people. But that wasn't us. The AI is self-learning. So, you know, we didn't program it to do that. Right. And would that fly? Um, that's a real, like, it's, we're, we're, this is really scary territory it is very when you scary. think about it. Yeah. It makes me think of like, you know, Dr. Strangelove, right? Like mm-hmm. Once the, once the machine is, is in motion, you can't, uh, you can't do anything about it. So, right. um, it's a scary, it's a scary vision. So I guess we're also going to sit on the proverbial nuclear bomb <laughs> and, and just ride it down to the ground. <laughs> um, so we, I, I do want to, um, open the floor for some questions. If anybody had some questions or wanted to discuss this topic, uh, please do feel free. Yes, please. So the question, of course, um, that you're asking, if I can paraphrase slightly, um, just I'm not sure if the mic picked it up. So, uh, so you're asking basically, um, we're talking about all these different issues. Would it be best just not to create uh, AI that would be, you know, weaponized or create violent video games? And Eric, I'll let you uh, start with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a it's a great question. Um, do you want to um, squelch creative expression mm-hmm. and art? I mean, video games, I. I think a lot of folks do believe it's a, a form of art, definitely a, a creative activity. And according to the Supreme Court, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So there yeah. you go. Um, and so um, you get into uh, you know the question of do we even have a, a right to mm-hmm. um, to restrict the creation of art that is uncomfortable, that is um, you know, disturbing, and mm-hmm. we don't. No. Um, so. But that that doesn't mean that it can't be done um, more responsibly or mm-hmm. in a different way. But I think that's a that's a that's a that's a really difficult question to mm-hmm. to, to decide, right? Um, so can, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the Supreme Court. So yeah, um, this was uh, gosh, um, twenty. 20- 10-ish, 2011, um, uh, the uh, case Brown v. EMA, the Supreme Court, um, they were considering a California law that would ban the sale of violent video games. 
and uh, the Supreme Court struck it down. Um, and not along the partisan lines you would think. Um, it, was, uh, it was a surprisingly bipartisan ruling, um, essentially saying that video games are protected speech under the First Amendment and you can't regulate them, um, just like you can't regulate the sale of film or anything. Like You can't outlaw the sale, right? You can have policies at like the, the store level saying, hey, we won't sell this to people under the age of 18 or something like that, but you can't outright make it a crime to sell a video game to a minor. Um, and so this was a tremendous blow, um, not only, um, so for, uh, and the funny thing about this case is two things. Number one, the original name of the case was Schwarzenegger v. EMA, because of course Schwarzenegger was the governor of California at the time. And if you think about like Schwarzenegger's filmography, a lot of it's way <laughs> yeah. more violent than the games. <laughs> two, the guy that introduced it, Leland Yee, turned out to actually be a Grand Theft Auto character. Um, he was like doing racketeering and gun running and all that kind of stuff. He actually got arrested and disbar, or like uh, kicked out of the state Senate. So um, anyway, so the, the, the thing about this case is that the, according to the law, this is considered uh, video games are protected by the First Amendment. That's the biggest thing. So um, is it, can we, can we uh, outlaw or should we not do this? I mean, I don't think you can make a case saying we shouldn't, right? I can find some things distasteful, right? For the longest time, I didn't like Call of Duty because they kept going back to the modern warfare well, um, because I was just, you know, I was uncomfortable with the idea that we are sort of glamorizing very real conflicts that are very um, difficult, that are causing real pain and destruction around the world. It was much more palatable when they started, for me, doing more science fiction kind of transhumanist ideas, um, started playing with the idea of like science, like cyborgs and like implanted memories and that kind of thing, or when they would go back in history to World War Two or something like that, where there's at least the distance of time and, and space a little bit. Um, but uh, at the same time, um, it, it, I find it hard to say, no, we shouldn't do that, right? Because, you know, there's the history is full of art and ideas that are incredibly breathtakingly inept at addressing the things that they're trying to address. But we should still allow them to do that and then criticize them and poke fun at them as we so choose. As far as the AI question, that's a much, much harder one. Yeah. Um, like this is something, we're getting to a philosophical, like I was actually talking about this in, in, in class with my students the other day. Um, we are now potentially in a position where we could be creating our own destruction with AI. And I don't think it's necessarily gonna come to that, but we have now at least in this position where we are creating something that is rapidly approaching sentient life. And when you sort of take something that has been the domain of, you know, uh, whether you believe in uh, a creator God or not, but the domain of something other than human, right? Something that is a, a force larger than humanity and now saying, cool, we're gonna do that. Um, you have to at least stop and take stock of the repercussions of that, right? To, to paraphrase the, doc, uh, the great Dr. Ian Malcolm, we shouldn't be so obsessed with whether or not we could, maybe we should stop and think about whether or not we should. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think a lot of this, uh, the parallel I like to draw with this, I think, is with uh, with football, actually, sure. which is a uh, an incredibly popular sport, um, but it's also incredibly violent, mm -hmm. um, and it has serious repercussions for players, right, mm -hmm. who've suffered concussions and brain damage and things like that, yet the demand for this violent sport mm -hmm. is as high as it's ever been, mm -hmm. um, yet that doesn't mean that things can't be done to ensure the safety of players, right? With changed rules, mm -hmm. with better helmet technology, all these kinds of things. Um, but again, does your average NFL fan care about that or not, right. right? Just like your average gamer, do they care whether or not they're committing war crimes or not? Will it, will it decrease their enjoyment of this product to make it more realistic, um, just like you know, changing um, you know kickoffs to make it less mm -hmm. 
less violent for uh, a, a kick returner. And there's certainly people who do really want that kind of realism and that kind of moral ambiguity. And to kind of give you a feel for some of the folks we're dealing with, I remember very vividly, I was at the, um, uh, when I, a few years, like this is probably almost 10 years ago now, um, I was at a comic book store and I was just walking around and I overheard a conversation where somebody was making the case that the worst thing that ever happened was the outlawing of napalm and warfare. And I'm just like, like you're one of those things like your brain just stops. I'm like, you do realize what napalm does, right? Like, um, but this guy was very seriously saying that was, and, and so I think that there are those people who very seriously believe that, like, you know, anything less than the sort of verisimilitude of, you know, the the true like horror of war and the, the destructive power of it um, is is you know soft. It's, and that, it's that's the point of so many anti-war films. Mm -hmm. I mean. Apocalypse Now, um, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front. The point is to almost overdo the violence. Yeah. Because w when you're within it, um, there is this kind of fog that's created. So, um, you know, is stopping the game midway once you commit a war crime? I mean, it, 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 in some ways, perhaps, you know, it, it, it doesn't even uh, recreate reality because there could, you know, war fair and violence um, as a soldier can, you know, create these huge stressors on mm -hmm. you, right? Post-traumatic stress syndrome, et cetera. So, you know, are you even as a player truly experiencing what that situation mm -hmm. is like, however realistic it may be like? Um, so I think that's another question about, you know, the, mm -hmm. the realisticness, the verisimilitude. Um, you know, is it better just to uh, have the chaos of war? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a hard question to answer. And in fact, um, this I mean, there was a game Spec Ops, the line that tried to do this, right? It would delve into like the sort of psyche of someone who had been to war and was going through and like seeing and, and white phosphorus plays into that, but not as it is not a fun thing to use once you hit in multiplayer. It's like we have done a terrible thing by using this, right? So it's like the closest thing we have to a truly anti-war war game. Um, you know, a, there's been plenty of anti-war war films, but games really haven't caught up yet. Um, for and a again, you know, to me, I think a lot of that's just going to be demand. Um, mm -hmm. People want escape and adventure um, from their video game playing experience, I would say. And, you know, um, how many, again, what, what's your general demographic for a, a game like this? Uh, Call of Duty is supposed to be marketed to people over the age of 17 based on the rating. Um, if you play online, you will notice that it is predominantly younger than that. We're talking like 10 and under. Uh, we see a lot oh, of geez. kids. Wow. Yeah, like I cannot tell you that like I, I, I turn the microphones off. Um, if you turn them on, you will hear a bunch of little tiny kid voices screaming various ethnic slurs at you. Um, so yes, it's supposed to be for an older audience, but really it's, 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 it's surprisingly skews younger. So that's really interesting. I mean, these yeah. are the, um, the, the, I guess the kids who, who could benefit most perhaps from, yeah. from learning these things, but they're probably the ones who want at least, yeah. um, because this is just pure, yeah. pure entertainment right. for them. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and I, I'm not even sure that's entirely sure. I think a lot of them went to Fortnite, but there's still probably a lot of kids who are, who are still playing this. So yeah, maybe, maybe that is the case. Maybe there is an importance there because it is the thing where it's like, Hey, let's, let's hit them while they're young and, and make them kind of grapple with this a little bit. You know, maybe we can't, I mean, there is research that shows you can use video games to create empathy. Why not Absolutely. start now? So. Absolutely. Uh, we are about out of time. So Dr. Eric Morgan, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for being on Serious Fun and talking about this very difficult subject with me. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, serious fun. <laughs> serious fun. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
And so once again, thanks to Dr. Eric Morgan for sitting down with me and talking about this very heady topic. Uh, also a big thanks to Scott Berg, the engineer, uh, one of our great ATS staff who uh, recorded everything, made it sound so good. Thanks of course also to Dr. Ryan Martin and Elise Cohen, the organizers of the event, and to everybody else who helped put it on. Thanks to our pals at Stitcher, and of course a special thanks to Kate Farley, our Phoenix Studios guru. And as always, check out all of the other University of Wisconsin Green Bay Phoenix Studios Network podcasts at uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. Many of them also recorded live episodes from Common Cause and uh, definitely, definitely worth your time. Until next time, I'm Dr. Brian Carr, and thanks for listening to Serious Fun. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.